Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. As Christians, we are called to follow Christ's commandment to love one another. And for us church folk, that begins with the person that's sitting in the pew right next to us. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on Jesus' words from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, and begins with some thoughts on the great importance of friendship. I believe that amongst the most powerful and meaningful things and lasting things that Jesus ever said were his words from this morning's text, I have called you friends. There is a famous study led by a team of researchers from Harvard Medical School, a study that actually began in the late 1930s and continues on, believe it or not, to this very day. A study that sought to track the lives and relationships of a group of Harvard graduates and a group of others, while not Harvard graduates, grew up together in inner city Boston. It has since become one of the most extensive and multi-generational studies ever undertaken and apparently it has offered up a literal treasure trove of insights over the years. You can find it online and it's just exhaustive. I really didn't even have a chance to really look at it beyond just the, the first couple of paragraphs. But what drew me to this study was a quote from Robert J. Walginger, who is the current head of this ongoing research project. And he was asked, few years ago now, on the occasion of the 75th anniversary of this project, they asked him, what do you think you have actually learned from this study? And he said, and I quote, the clearest message that we get from this 75-year-old study is that good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. And to this, well, I can only say, oh, I could have told you that. I mean, with all due respect to the learned scholar, uh, scholars of the Ivy League, it only makes sense, does it not, that friendship matters as regards our health. And that's whether you're talking physical health, emotional health, or spiritual health. And I know this is true, friends. Because it's the very reason, at least in part, that you and I are here this morning. Why we're sitting in these pews and we are seeking to be part of a Christian community in this place. In fact, I would go so far as to say to you this morning that what it is that sets the church apart from just about every other group or organization out there is twofold. First of all, what sets us apart is this deep need that we all have to feel the presence of God in our lives. It's what the author and pastor, one of my favorites, Craig Barnes, refers to as our shared yearning to find holiness. 
to find the living water we need for our parched souls. So that's the first reason we're here. But the second thing that sets us apart, it's a profound desire also within each one of us to feel a connection, a connection with kindred hearts. In this instance, hearts that are turned toward God. And that's not simply true of a particular church or congregation or or a particular religious tradition. This constitutes, you see, pretty much of a universally held human need. Stephen Macchia speaks of this in his book, Becoming a Healthy Church, Ten Traits. This is a a book that's about 20 years old now, and I've practically worn it out. There's so much good stuff in it. But he suggests in this book that regardless of our backgrounds or traditions or situations in life, we all pretty much have basic needs in common with one another. And simply put, they are threefold. Three basic human needs. First, it is the need to be loved and affirmed, and accepted by significant others in our lives. Put more simply, we all need to be cared about, right? Second, we have the need for those who would guide and direct us appropriately through life. In other words, no matter where we are, who we are, we really do need to be taught the way to go. And third and finally, we all have the need to belong to a group. Whether that's an attachment by birth or by adoption. Again, simply put, we need family. We need family of some kind or another. Now, Machia goes on to say here, that if we overlay our Christian experience upon those basic human needs, it becomes immediately and readily apparent that creating and nurturing healthy relationships on both a divine and human level is paramount to our spiritual health. We need friendship. Simple as that. We need friendship with God, and we need friendship with one another. On a personal level, you see, friendship is what gives spark and meaning to our daily lives. And for us as the church, friendship is what helps us to become vibrant places of worship, love, and service. Consequently, Machia concludes, we need to get to know one another. We need to deepen our loving and caring relationships so that true wholeness will emerge from within our people. I think that's very true. And that's why, with with all due respect to those who value their times of spiritual solitude, it's almost impossible, I think, to live out the Christian life in all of its fullness while simultaneously isolating ourselves with other people. To be Christian, you see, is ultimately not to live as some kind of spiritual lone ranger. You know, we're not meant, each one of us, to be the gurus high up on top of the mountain. 
No, we, when we are baptized into the Christian faith, beloved, we have been baptized into a community of believers. We have been baptized into this community with the expectation, as we claim in our baptismal vows, that we will be faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ, growing in faith and growing in community. So then, all our, our goal and purpose as members of the church is, at least in part, because there's more to it, but at least in part, it is to seek to dwell in faithful unity with others. To heed the command of our Lord that Cindy shared with us in our text today, to love one another as we have been loved. To reach out to others in an ever-widening embrace of friendship, modeling ourselves and our very lives after that which we have been given by the very one who has said to us, I have called you friends. The very one who backed up that claim by giving up his very life on the cross because, he said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Whatever other labels the world or the culture or we ourselves would place upon this particular community, it's important for us to remember, friends, that first and foremost, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we are in relationship with the one who was literally dying to love us. And what we have received we are commanded to give, to love as we have been loved. And basically, you know, it all comes down to this. That in glorious and remarkable ways, you and I, we have been befriended in great and redeeming love. And now, you and I are being called to respond to that gift of grace by being friends being friends after the manner of Jesus Christ. Or, to put a finer point on it, kind of a theological point on it, if you will, we are meant to be in relationship with one another in a Christ-like way. That's the joy of it, isn't it? That's the fun of it. That's why we come in here and we can laugh with one another and be a little silly at times. That's why we can, in times that when we are grieving for whatever reason, we can cry with each other. It is the deep-seated meaning of our being together this morning and every Sunday morning and all through the week in this sacred place. It's the joy of it. But if we're being honest, it's also, at times, a bit of a challenge for us as God's people. I don't know, maybe you'd be surprised that I'd actually say that to you. At least, or say it out loud, at least, and on homecoming Sunday, no less. I mean, after all, we, we think of ourselves as church folk to be friendly, 
to be a friendly people. And, and, and we assume that the church is going to be a place where everybody's welcome, where love abides, and friendships will just spring up naturally. And that's not a false or unreasonable assumption about the church, or about us, for that matter. And yet, I think we also can say that looking around us begs the question of just how many people have fallen through the cracks in our lives together. How many people who come into this place surrounded by people sitting in pews next to them and yet nonetheless nonetheless have been sitting alone and lonely in the sanctuary and have left the same way. By the same token, and this happens on either side of the equation, how many of us are even right now living our lives after the manner of that old Simon and Garfunkel song? I am a rock. I am an island. I touch no one and no one touches me. How many of us are aching, literally aching, for a connection, for a friendship, a linking with a kindred heart, and yet have never had it happen. Now, I don't say these things to bring us all down. I'm not saying this to criticize. Simply to point out how crucial a thing like friendship and relationship is in the life of the church and how easily that priority can be lost to the detriment of of that particular congregation and ultimately to the kingdom of God. To quote Stephen Machia one more time, even in the church, he says, we live in a narcissistic age in which the world around us promotes values that pull us further into ourselves or else further apart from one another. The church, Machia says, and I think this is very true, the church has to counter this. It needs to uh, present an alternative that breathes life and hope into the hearts of lonely, confused, disenfranchised, marginalized, lost people. Again, I I think that's absolutely true. And I think that this is basic to the entire mission of the church. But it only comes to pass, you see, when we will risk ourselves before others to step out in faith to truly love one another as we have been loved. And folks, it starts with the person that's sitting in the pew right next to us. You know, when I think back on it, the one truly clear memory I have of my very first day in elementary school was of being lonely on the playground. I was in the first grade. We just moved to a new town where my father had just taken a teaching job. We hadn't even moved to town yet. We had a house coming, but it wasn't ready. I didn't know anybody. And so at recess, I just hugged the bricks on the side of Opal Myrick Elementary School. And I was feeling totally lost and lonely and scared. Like I said, that's probably the clearest memory I have of my first day at school. But that's not why I remember it. 
I remember it because while I was there off by myself, one of the little girls in my first grade class came over to me. Her name was Tina. I remember her to this day, and interestingly enough, she became a Facebook friend a few weeks ago. And she came over, first grade kid, took me by the hand and said, you're in my class. Come play with us. We want you to come play with us. And before I know it, I'm part of this huge line of kids playing a rather spirited game of Red Rover, Red Rover, send me right over. And it's like I have always been there. I'm no longer the new kid. I'm no longer this strange, lonely person up against the bricks. I'm one of the group. I'm one of the gang. I'm six years old. But even then, I understood how good it felt to be included and welcomed and chosen. And when you think about it, that's how God deals with us. That's how God has dealt with us in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, we go to such great lengths, do we not, to find acceptance and righteousness and love in this life. But ultimately, we discovered that those things don't come to us by our own effort, but by the graceful will and love of God. You did not choose me, Jesus says to his disciples and to us. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I'm here to tell you that's important. For us to remember this morning. Because right now, literally and figuratively, there is someone sitting in the pew next to you, someone who needs the Lord in their life. And for them, the church needs to be a haven of true friendship, both human and divine. It needs to be the place where they can find in the Lord a healing of the soul and an emboldening of their spirit. Someone is sitting in the pew next to you today. Maybe someone will be sitting in the pew next Sunday or the Sunday after that. And you have this incredible opportunity to become a vessel for God's redeeming work in and through their lives. Someone will be sitting in the pew next to you waiting for someone like you to be Christ-like. And that someone might well be you. Now, I get it. I, I know that what I'm saying here may sound rather lofty, as if, if not unattainable, you know, suggestion. We should all be Christ-like. We should all embrace our Christology, as we say in theology. But you know what? It's really very basic. And it begins very simply, you know? It begins by reaching out. It begins by taking people by the hand and by the heart. It is in choosing them as Christ has chosen you. It is in treating them with openness and honesty and integrity and authenticity. Slowly and steadily building a relationship full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance and joy and above all with love. 
Another thing we read in our text today is Jesus is calling us to bear fruit. Well, this is the kind of fruit that's going to grow and thrive and last for a lifetime and beyond. You know, from time to time over the years as the pastor, I have entertained the bright, noble, and ultimately misguided notion that when people come to church, they, they really hadn't ought to be sitting in the same pew Sunday after Sunday. But they really ought to be moving around and sitting with different people. And so from time to time, I would just get this bright idea that I would say before church starts, okay, everybody get up, go move. Go sit with somebody else. Well, suffice to say that these were the times when I learned that there is a big difference between preaching on the one hand and meddling on people's lives on the other. And I've also found that for some people, where they sit is a sacred thing, and no mere pastor is going to mess with that. I am not exaggerating when I tell you that uh, if I could count five times, I got in serious troubles with the congregation I served. It usually had began somewhere with having people change their pews. And it seems like a small thing, but I learned you do these things at your peril. But you know what? What I've learned is that it's not really where we place ourselves in the sanctuary that matters. It's rather how we place ourselves in the sanctuary or within the family of faith as we sit here. That's what matters. The question is not whether we sit in a certain pew. There are a lot of reasons that people choose the pews they do. That's a whole other sermon we'll do sometime. But it is whether we sit in a way that either on the one hand connects us to others or, or keeps us apart from one another. In the very poetic words of the late Anne Weems, does sitting side by side in God's sanctuary make us community? Or are you just another person in the pew that I'll never really know? Believe me when I tell you that how we answer questions such as these make all the difference as to who we are and how we are as the church. And let me just say in that regard, I have seen the kind of friendships that exist in this family of faith. Friendships that have cut across uh, all kinds of, of dividers. Friendships that have lasted a lifetime. And the thing is, friends, I just want everybody who walks in here to experience that for themselves. We all want this church to be a place where people have deep and meaningful friendships, both with the Lord and with each other. But you see, that only happens when you and I are willing to step out of our comfort zones and reach out and touch someone even someone sitting in the pew next to you, to do so with faith and with love. Because you know what? It may well be that today is the day that someone in this sanctuary or someone, for that matter, somebody out there is going to hear the voice of God. 
They're going to hear a voice speaking a word of love and acceptance and welcome and hope. They're going to hear a voice that opens up the possibility for a relationship so deeply moving and loving that it will encompass an ocean of tears or open up the future for them as wide as the sky, as massive as the canopy of stars at night. A voice that is so imbued with divine love and friendship that life as they know it will be over and life will be changed for the better forever. And you know what's going to be the most amazing thing about that? That voice they're going to hear? It might just sound like yours. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Sitting in the Pew Next to You. It was recorded during our September the 18th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I know you'll be glad you came, and I would love the opportunity to welcome you. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.